A popular outcast production. Power Podcast on November the 20th, 2013. We are coming to you via the popular Outcast Productions. You, you just heard their little splash song. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. How, how are you doing? I'm great. What are you drinking? Tonight, I am drinking the very end of my Glenlivet 12-year single malt scotch. It's all gone after this. A tear descends. Oh my gosh. And I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of an era. Yeah, I've had that bottle for some time now. For 24 episodes. So yeah, this is our, our episode 12. So if we were an actual monthly podcast, this would be our one year anniversary. Then. We can still pretend it's our one year anniversary. Hooray! There was, there was much rejoicing. There you go. <laughs> and that is the extent of it. So Kevin, apart from Pokemon... <laughs> Uh, apart from portable gaming, what have you been playing? I have nothing for you. <laughs> nothing? Yeah, you're yeah. a busy man. Yeah. You're doing a bunch of freelance and then breeding Pokemon, that's it? Yeah, that's basically what my entire life is right now. Freelance work and making Pokemon swap tartar sauce. <laughs> Kevin did some Kevin did some freelance Pokemon tartar sauce swapping for me the other day. Mm. I did. Overlapping his two roles. I gave you a, a whipped dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, there's an ex-fairy. We're talking about fairy. <laughs> an ex-fairy called uh, Spritzy. Oh my god. And then and he needs uh, to trade with a Satchet in order to evolve. And then there's a Y one. I can't remember the name. You load it up with a whipped dream and then trade it. And it Swirly or something? Swirly. Swirly. Swirlix, that's right. You have to get, you have to give him a, a snowball, and then what happens? It sounds, it sounds kind of <laughs> like cervix. Yeah, yeah. So it was intimate, um, and we both came out <laughs> feeling satisfied. You could say it was mutually beneficial. <laughs> that's what that's what Pokemon's all about with the two versions. How about you, Mark? How are you doing tonight? Oh, all right. I'm I'm fighting a little cold. I'll try not to cough into the microphone. Oh, that, well, that sucks. So does that mean that since you're not feeling so well that you are not drinking anything? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> he slams his glass into the table. Yeah, it was a bottle of uh, Samuel Smith's Winter Welcome Ale. This is a little yearly English beer they put out. Um, this brewery's been around since... Um, they have a, uh, a Shakespeare quote on their bottle, and I believe it is an actual quote of him talking about their brewery, so... This is a wow. old brewery, and I'm about to have their beer for the first time, actually. Awesome. Cool. It's like time travel. That's really good. Yeah? Yeah. Can you can you describe it? It's like, um, you know, it has, I'd say it has characteristics of, of a Belgian. Um, a, a good Belgian, not a Duvel. Duvel's like, kind of like Sprite to me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm talking more like a Chimay or maybe a Grimbergen. And... At the end, though, it's got this weird, I hate to say it, like, cough medicine thing going on, but I kind of like it, so, <laughs> I don't know. Is it sweet? Um, it's, like, got that, like, sort of caramelly, toffee, burnt mm. chocolate, maybe, kind of character. I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff going on in here. Sounds delicious. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. And, uh, what are you, what are you playing that's not portable? Oh, well, today... I took a break from, I was playing Pokemon and, and playing um, some old Zelda games on my 3DS, and I decided to take a break, and I'm restarting the Mass Effect trilogy. Yeah, it's some of my favorite games of all time, um, <laughs> even though I only played all of them like a year ago, like they quickly have become some of my favorite games of all time, and I think the some of the best RPGs of this generation, really. And that's from a Western developer. That's that's pretty ambitious because I'm a big Japanese game fan. I don't typically go for mm -hmm. uh, Western developed games all that much. But yeah, that's, that's Bioware, right? Yeah, I, I'm playing. Yeah. I'm playing as a man this time. My first time through the series, I played as a woman. <laughs> my my fond memory of playing Mass Effect One was I based my character off of Rorschach from the Watchmen comic book. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty funny. 
But I, I never played the other two because I couldn't port that character to the PC, and I didn't have an Xbox, so yeah. I hadn't, just didn't want to play with a different character. Each game feels very different. Like, the first game, it might be my favorite just because the presentation, like, the, the graphic style with, like, it's got these filters on the graphics, and the music and the sound and everything, it feels very much like a classic sci-fi film. And then mm. the second one just kind of is, is like a well-oiled machine. It's like a really good game, but it's like very gamey. Mm. To be concise, that's how I'll describe it. And then the third one is super epic and this huge game, and there's so much going on. But it kind of, I don't know, it loses the that feeling I got of the first game in the series. And I don't know, I, I kind of wish that, 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 that voice or whatever you want to say was consistent throughout all three games. But I, if you haven't played them, I mean... As an RPG fan, or even uh, a shooter fan, maybe you—I really owe it to yourself. It's some of the best storytelling I think of like the past twenty years. Maybe when they go on sale on Steam or something, like as a package, I'll, I'll get it. Yeah. Well, anyway, Emerson, are you drinking tonight? I am. I have a red wine, a Cabernet called Carnivore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tasty. I have to be honest. Uh, whenever I'm buying wine. It's like, does the top screw off? If I'm in the mood for a cork wine, then I mostly just go by the label. Uh-huh. This one has a cool label, and it's called Carnivore, so I bought it. Nice. Hey, I'm in, I'm in no position to judge anyone <laughs> for their wine taste. I went out for uh, Mexican last night, and it was a BYOB place, and my friend Joe um, brought a box of wine. <laughs> just a giant two-and-a-half-liter box of wine. Did it have a straw built in? Um, no, but it did have one of those, like, little plastic things that you... Spigot. Yeah, a little plastic spigot. There you go. <laughs> if you, if you want to give wine to a bunch of people, there's nothing wrong with wine in a box. No, I was... Listen, I was perfectly okay with this, but I, I mean, I have no taste for wine. Yeah. I, uh, I only drink it every once in a while, but last time I had that root beer crap that was horrible. <laughs> the colon beer. I wanted beer. to step it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you uh, playing some games? I am playing some games, as I've been known to do. Mm. I've been playing Hearthstone, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. Yeah, go for it. So Hearthstone, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a collectible card game like Magic the Gathering well not exactly like it thank goodness but on the on the same genre of game collectible card game that's for the computer and it's made by Blizzard and Blizzard is known for their really high quality like polish on their games and so Hearthstone right now it's not released it's in beta testing on the PC but eventually it was planned for the iPad and I recently found out or Android tablets as well. Nice. So, and it's all going to be cross-platform compatible, so you'll be able to play a game with anybody. That's really nice. On any platform, yeah. And uh, the game is the most fun thing that Blizzard has ever made. These are the people who made World of Warcraft and Starcraft, which is like the national sport of South Korea. <laughs> Hearthstone is better than those, <laughs> in terms of just like pure fun factor. And the reason for that is really due to the high polish that they put on all their products. Uh, what's really exciting to me about the game is just the sound effects and like the graphics that go along with each card. Normally, like, like I've played a couple of different CCGs for the computer, and normally you just like click on a card and you play it, and it's it has nice picture. All the cards have nice art, but it doesn't do anything. Like, it doesn't have any personality. But when you play Hearthstone, each card like, comes to life in a very real way when you play it. Like, you, you put it on the board and it makes a sound effect. And, like, the animation that goes along with it is, like, you're dropping this, like, heavy metal tile onto a board. And it has, like, weight. And there's a puff of, like, dust and a thump. And it, it says it's sound effect or, like, a roar if it's an animal. And then when you attack with it, it has a battle attack sound as well. Do they have different battle battle animations? Well, they don't really have animations. Like, you can get a gold one. Uh, a gold one will have an animation on the picture. 
Mm. Um, but they do the tiles like when they attack, they they hop up off the board and they like slam into each other with this big meaty impact, and it's really satisfying. And there are different mm. degrees. So like if you put out a, like a weak card, then it just makes a tap. But if you put out like an epic, powerful, legendary card, it goes slam onto the table and like all the other pieces like bump around. And there's this huge, like, it's very, like, it's very epic when you get into, like, the high, expensive legendary cards. The, there's one legendary card for the um, Warlocks where you play the card and it actually takes the place of your your own, it's Lord Jaraxxus, and it actually takes the place of your hero. So it, like, comes out and it's like, raw, I'm here to kill you, and then it slams down where your, your hero was supposed to be before. And it, it's all like custom animated to just fit together, and it's really exciting. There, there are nine classes, uh, one for each of the original classes from World of Warcraft. So warrior, rogue, mage, priest. Oh, so so it's sort of based around that lore. Yeah, it's it's um the full name is Hearthstone Heroes of Warcraft. Ah. Yeah. So the each of the the tables is based on like a zone in World of Warcraft, like a Stormwind. Yeah, it's really interactive. It's just, like, really satisfying to play. It also has a really good model. So it's free to play, and you can buy cards in packs. And the way that it works is that you have your collection of cards, and you can have two of every type of card. That's the maximum. And you earn, you can play... If you win three games, you get a little bit of gold, and if you earn enough gold, you buy a pack with the gold. So... And they have quests, too. And every quest gives you, like, 40 gold. When you get up to 100 gold, you buy a pack. Um, there's also an arena mode, which is different. But but the nice thing is that when you buy a pack, if you already have two of those kind of cards, if you get a spare one, you can disenchant it and turn it into dust. And you can use that dust to make any card in the game straight up, if you have enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's no... Like, like there's a lot of rarity... You know, but um, in the long run, if you play for a long time, you you can get any card that you want. How many total cards will there be in the final version? I actually have no idea. There are quite a lot of them. Now, I'm assuming that there are, like, like every customizable card game, like, they have different cards that are by rarity and everything? Yeah, there's, um, there are basic cards, which is cool. It's nice, because you can build a full, complete deck for any of the classes just with the basic cards that you get for free. Like, they give you a lot of cards for free. And the basic cards are good. Um, but then there's common cards, rare cards, epic, and legendary. Now, are the epic and legendary cards, like, I guess I'm asking a question about how the balancing is. Like, is it fully possible for players of equal skill level to, say, for example, two players who are equally as good at the game, one player has legendary cards in their deck, the other player doesn't own any legendary cards. Is the player with the legendary cards going to win pretty much hands down? Actually, uh, from what I can tell, it's very well balanced around the mana cost of the card. So, um, the cards that are like, that cost 9 or 10, do like ridiculous things that are game-changing. So if you have one of those cards in your deck, it's a, there's a good chance that you could pull it out at the 11th hour and completely turn a game around. But every card that costs 9 or 10 has that. So there are legendary cards. There's one legendary that costs 1 mana. And it doesn't, for, from what I can see, it's very well balanced around its cost. So I think that even if you do get a legendary from like a lucky pack or something, like I have a couple legendaries that I got from lucky packs, you're not necessarily going to win straight out. There, um, I think it's it's very well balanced, and like there's a lot of subtlety to the early and like mid game that makes those legendary cards less impactful. And they're, they're, like it's it's more about skill than about how strong your cards are, and like skill in deck building. Well, that's good. Yeah. So you can if you have a deck that's very well built and like balanced and built around having legendary in it. Then that legendary, like, it will help you win the game. Mm -hmm. But that's because your whole strategy is sound, and your deck is sound from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Do they allow trading of cards? No, there's no card trading at all. Um, the reason for that is 
because cards that are good, everybody wants them, mm-hmm. and so people only tend to trade cards that nobody wants. Right. I just that's one of, that was always one of the big things of CCGs for me was like trading cards that I wasn't going to use with my friends for cards that I was going to use. Yeah. It would be nice if you could like like if there's a class like I never play priests I refuse to play priests because they have really cheap cards and they kick my butt a lot on the the rank ladder. Well, they touch little boys. Yeah, they do touch little boys. They have this card called Mind Control. There it, it is. Costs, well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a touch little boys card, <laughs> and it it basically it takes one of your the other guy's minions and it makes it your minion permanently. So the problem is if you're like in a if you're in a tight race if you're in a struggle with the other player and it's really close and it's back and forth and you put down a good piece and they just take it that's it that's like there's nothing you can do after that <laughs> it's really an imbalanced card so they're making it more expensive but I don't think it's going to help much oh so it's getting nerfed yeah by two mana cost it's going to cost ten which is the most mana you can get. Kind of matches up with how Priest was OP in actual World of Warcraft, too, though. <laughs> yeah, I've learned how to deal with Priests. People have learned you have to win by, like, turn 7. And then Priests have nothing to bring bring at you. I mean, how many turns is a game, usually? Well, the, the, way, the way the mana system works is that every turn you get another mana crystal. So you start with 1, you get 2, and then you accumulate up to 10. Mm-hmm. So, by the time you get to 10, epic stuff is happening back and forth. Um, so, 7 turns would be like you have 7 mana to spend, and mind control costs 8, so you don't have to worry about it before then. People are learning to play with, like, like underrated cards before. They're, like, not very strong, but they're just a little bit stronger than the other guys. You have to trade well. It's a good game. I've gotten really into the strategy. I'm I'm ranked, like, gold 2 now. Nice. So when does the game release? I don't know. It's it's a Blizzard game, so it sort of releases whenever it's quote unquote done. Mm. They've been ramping up the closed beta for several months now. I expect it to to go into open beta early next year, and then anybody should be able to sign up for it. Cool. I want to talk about arena mode. Okay. Arena mode is a fun thing. It costs two dollars to play, or a hundred and fifty gold. So it's it's more expensive than a pack, but um, the way it works is that you play draft style. So you get to choose one of three champions, one of th- three heroes, and then you get to choose 30 cards for your deck, and they show you three random cards at a time, and you pick one of them, and you do that 30 times. So sometimes it'll give you legendaries and epic cards that you wouldn't normally be able to play with, but you have to build your deck really carefully, and then you go in against other arena mode players, and um, you have to get a, accumulate a certain number of wins. And when you get to, like, nine wins, then you get, like, two packs and, like, 150 gold. It's a really huge prize. The most I've gotten is five wins. But I'm getting better at deck building. So that's kind of like um, sealed deck with other CCGs like that, that aren't electronic. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's a fun mode. Like, once you, once you get into the game, once you're, like, good at it, then it becomes really cost-effective. Because you get a lot of dust and like special rare cards and golden cards. It's a good game. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited to play with like friends, have tournaments and stuff. Yeah. Well, once the full version is released, uh, we'll have to do a full review for it. Yeah, it'll be on iPad and Android. I don't think I can play it on my phone, but we'll see. We'll see. Cool. Well, let's move along then. Uh, Kevin, first up, you have. Rebirth of Fortune 2 for iOS. That's right. It's a fantasy tactics RPG by Datomchi, and it's $2.99 on the App Store. I would describe it as kind of like a light tactics RPG. So there are a lot of, you know, mainstay types of different units, such as like, you know, soldiers, thieves, archers, and then there are advanced classes like Shadow Knight and Ninja and Necromancer and stuff like that. The game keeps things fresh by... The, the way it works is it's always kind of unlocking something new for you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
after every battle, you get war funds, which you use instead of experience points um, to level up your units. Um, so when units reach a certain level in varying combinations, uh, a new class will unlock. Like, I mean, this isn't necessarily accurate, but for example, you, know, you, you put like 15 points onto your archer and you'll unlock a ranger. Nice. Um, yeah. And then you'll have him as an option to play. You get a certain number of rank points before every battle when you're building your team. And what rank points do is they allow you to bring additional units into battle. Uh, more powerful units cost more rank points than the basic units. So you have the option of leveling up your weaker units and just swarming the battlefield with them. Or taking in like a smaller handful of stronger units. Um, and there isn't really a right or wrong way to do that. So whichever way you prefer to play, the game allows you to do that, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Each unit class has skills that are uh, powered by a resource that's called Ether, and Ether is gained a little bit each turn. It's also gained by attacking and um, taking damage. It's not really scarce, though, so like I've never really found myself in a position where I couldn't do something because I was lacking Ether. Mm. That's what the ice cream man said. (laughs) It was John Wayne Gacy. (laughs) (laughs) The units in the game are all nameless. There isn't any story, which actually I'm okay with, because I'd rather a game just not tell a story at all than subject me to a bad one. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, there's no real downtime between levels. You just, you know, you finish a level, you level up your units, and then you choose your team and go on to the next battle. So it's... Pretty fast-paced. That's not a bad um, format, though, for a mobile game. Exactly, exactly. No, I, I'm not saying that as a negative. Like, I would 100% rather not have a story, because most of the tactics RPGs I have played have had ridiculously awful narratives. Oh, what are you talking about? Project X-Zone was life-changing. <laughs> <laughs> it completely changed my worldview on... You know, things like social justice. <laughs> Equal opportunity, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> to be honest, it was the story in Fire Emblem that has kept me from playing it. It's just too much. The story gets better if you give it time, but it starts out really awful. <laughs> so, yeah, like it, it doesn't give you that hurdle to overcome if, if you want to enjoy it. Now that I've given kind of a brief overview of it, I'm going to go over the things that I liked and the longer list of things that I didn't Uh-oh. like. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the positives of the game are the graphics look pretty good. They're I would say Game Boy Advance level. They're bright and colorful. You know, adorable little anime sprites. You kind of feel bad for beating up the monsters because they're pretty cute. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> although that said, the the sprites on the battlefield don't always match up with what I think they should look like. Like I could not figure out that something was a zombie until the game actually told me it was a zombie. <laughs> Like they they do like profiles of the of the units as they're moving, mm-hmm. so you know I mean th- those are well drawn and you know it's it's cute. Another thing I liked is all the different unit types. There's I believe twenty six in all, which is huge. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean not all of them are exactly like the most unique thing. Like there's some overlapping attributes between like soldier and warrior, mm-hmm. but. You know, it's still cool that they have, like, all this different stuff and different combinations for you to try. On the vein of things that I didn't really like quite as much, um, the big one is sometimes the game just stops working. What? (laughs) Yeah, like, I'll just, I'll sit there tapping, like, to start a level, and it, I don't know if it's just moving really slowly, or it's just not registering my touch, or what's happening, Uh. but... There were a couple of times that I just had to close the game and reopen it. Yeah. Which, considering that the game costs $3, that's some serious bullshit. Although, <laughs> you know, I, I hate to bring this up, it could be optimized for newer iPhones. It's it's optimized for iPhone 5, and I'm running a 4. Yeah. So that could be the problem, but still, like, don't make me pay for a game that's not going to work on my device. Yeah, just, tell, just straight up, like, don't support that platform. Exactly. Like, don't let it work on iPhone 4 at all. Like, just be like, you know, this is for iPhone 5 only. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so, that's frustrating. Um, another thing is, the game isn't really all that challenging. 
I mean, I never had any problems completing a level, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't get anywhere near to the end, so there's a chance that maybe it gets more difficult, but mm-hmm. I would see the AI do ridiculous things, like stand on top of a cliff and pace back and forth on the edge of the cliff each turn, not attacking me at all, while my archers just fill them with arrows. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the AI is just faulty. That's, yeah, the AI's bad. The play control is pretty shaky, like, it's kind of hard to make your unit move to the exact tile that you want it to all the time. It's, you know, like, 25% of the time it's just really tough to do. Um, fortunately, unlike the first Rebirth of Fortune game, which I also played, there is an undo button, and there isn't a time <laughs> limit. Huh. So you can redo your moves as many times as you need to. That's kind of weak for a tactics game, you know. You should, you should be forced into commitment. Well, if the play control is good, I would agree with you. (laughs) But when it's moving you to places that you do not want to go because you're trying to move (laughs) the camera, then that's that's something that just has to be addressed with an undo button. Fair enough. And it doesn't let you undo an attack or anything like that. Like, once you've attacked, your turn's done. Mm -hmm. But, like, moving and stuff. Unless there was an undo button on your mama's blouse. Uh... I, I thought you were. I thought you were gonna say uterus for a second. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, yeah. I thought you were gonna try to like retcon my existence, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is not polite. Let me let me just say that I haven't drank in a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, an- another thing that I think is bullshit is this is a three dollar game. But they still have in-app purchases, of course. Oh, yeah. oh, of course. They they want you to buy war funds, you know, the things that level up your characters. So you can basically earn your character level ups, or you can just, you know, pay your way to victory. Nice. Of course. Which, I don't know who needs to do this, because, like, if you have problems <laughs> with this game, then, I don't know, like, you ate paint chips as a kid or something? But, yeah, like, I, I don't see any reason why anyone would need this, but apparently it's a thing. Overall, Rebirth of Fortune 2 is, I would say it's a decent introduction for people who aren't already fans of tactics RPGs. Like, for anyone who is a fan of, like, Fire Emblem or something that's a little more hardcore in the genre, you're not going to find a whole lot to challenge you. But $3 to try out a genre that is, I think, you know, one of the better ones out there is not a bad entry fee. Yeah, well, I mean, Mm -hmm. let's consider that one of the greatest tactical RPGs of all time, Final Fantasy Tactics is on the App Store, and I believe it's $30. Oh, wow. It might be 15 I don't know. Between 15 wow. and $30. It's more than I'm willing to pay considering that I have the PlayStation disc. Yeah. Right. And considering that I hate playing games on my phone. <laughs> Which is strange since we're a portable gaming podcast. There are just there are certain <laughs> types of games that, that play well on a phone. And yeah. I actually, I honestly thought this would be one of them. This style, this genre would be good on a phone, but... The, the undo button makes it playable. Yeah. The lack of time limit makes it playable. And, I mean, I'm not saying I had a bad time with it. I just, like, if I had never played a tactics RPG before, mm-hmm. like, I think I would be hooked. Nice. Okay. But, like, the, the simple fact that, like, the, the terrain is never terribly inventive, and when, when I'm used to something like Fire Emblem where every different tile has, like, different defensive values, and, like, you have all this different kind of equipment you can put on your character. There's not a whole lot of customization going on with this game. For somebody who's just trying it out, this would be a gas, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But for someone who is an enthusiast, it's kind of ho-hum. I think that, actually, that transitions well into my game, because it's also a um, turn-based tactics game. I'm reviewing Frozen Synapse uh, this this month, and uh, Frozen Synapse is a game I originally ran into on the PC. It's a Steam game. It was like $24 on Steam when I first bought it, but now you can get it for $4 for Android. <laughs> I believe that it's designed for Android tablets. I got it through the uh, the Humble Bundle, so I have it on my phone, but I don't think you can get it through the Play Store. Unless you have an Android tablet. Okay. 
Uh, it seems to run perfectly fine on my phone. I didn't have any trouble with the, the graphics or zooming in and out um, or, or any of the controls. That's good. But, uh, yeah. So Frozen Synapse is a very different sort of tactics game than the one Kevin's describing. It's based on modern military units, but very, very basic ones. They don't have, there's no RPG elements like leveling up. Instead, you have a team of four-ish versus another team of four. I say ish because you can play random scenarios, which gives you like a random number of units. But for the basics, you have a rocket launcher, a machine gunner, and a shotgunner. And you play from a top-down view of like a blueprint of an area. So the graphics are very, um, they're kind of wireframe. They're very basic graphics, but they communicate really well with the character. So if you have a machine gunner, he looks like a machine gunner. The shotgunners run faster. They're basic, but they're very effective. I, I kind of like the art style. Yeah, yeah. It's really, um, it, it communicates instantly what each, each little figure is. It's a man with a, a rocket launcher. And it's, it's very satisfying, even though it is, there's no like texturing or anything that goes on. Uh, I think the levels are really clear, too. They're basically just lines. They're like little... They're, it's a 3D game, but it's 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 all played from a top-down perspective, so the walls are, are just like lines, and the obstacles are just boxes. There's no chairs or tables, just, just boxes. And it's so it's really clear instantly what kind of object you're, you're taking cover under. Uh, the complexity of the game is... I don't know if they've improved the tutorial... Um, but it is very hidden. So the way the way combat works is it's all based on kind of your initiative. So if you're crouched down, aiming, and holding still, you will have a very accurate shot. But it won't like, give you a percentage. But then if an enemy comes into view, you'll start firing at them, and you'll hit them. So if they're moving and they're aiming at you, you'll, the, the two characters will fight each other, but whoever sort of saw the other one first will kill them. And I'm explaining it in kind of vague terms because the game doesn't communicate this to you at all. <laughs> it it doesn't tell you anything about the depth of the tactics. You just sort of have to learn and like like play around with the timing until you get a feel for for how the the game plays. The controls are really interesting. So, it's a it can be played multiplayer. There's also a single player campaign and then like instant skirmishes where it just randomly generates a level and you can play on that. Uh but what happens is you have your four guys and then you can program very very detailed orders into them so they move around by waypoints. So if you want somebody to walk down a hallway look left through a window, walk a little further, look right, and then look left down another hallway, cross the hallway, kneel down, and aim, you can do all of that. And I was actually really surprised with how easy it was to do that on my phone once I figured out what all the buttons yeah, did. shocking. Yeah, there are, um, there are little tabs all around the edges of the screen. You can zoom in and out. And once you, you like, <laughs> you have to get used to what all the tabs do. But everything I could do on the PC was right there once I once I knew where it was, and actually it was very responsive to like touching, like touching a waypoint and moving a waypoint was not hard. Touching the character, so like any kind of selection was really easy. You just tap on it and it and it works. So I was really happy about that because I knew that the controls, like the input for this game, would be a big deal. So you go through and you program this like complex set of waypoints and instructions into your team, and then at the same time, your enemy is doing the same thing. Okay, so it's simultaneous turns. And you can even, um, you can even select the enemy characters and give them instructions too, and sort of simulate, you can simulate what you think they're going to do. And then program your guys to like intercept them. Wow. Yeah, and you can play you can play your program over and over again as many times as you want until you get it right. And then you lock in your orders, and it sort of sends the orders to the other player. So if the other player is still figuring out theirs, it can take a while. The more detailed you get, the longer it takes for your turn to take. So if it's the AI, it does it really quickly. You just program your orders and send it, and then the AI updates. And as far as I can tell, the AI is pretty smart. Because I'm really bad at this game. 
I, I sort of like tried to describe how the combat works, but it's really like sensitive to the radius and timing and stuff that you just you just don't know <laughs> until you press play a bunch of times, give a bunch of orders, and just figure it out. Have you ever played any of the XCOM games? Oh, XCOM! I love XCOM. It is nothing like XCOM whatsoever. It was very, very, <laughs> very surfacey. I watched my friend play XCOM, and I was like, "I'm very surfacey when I watch videos for this game." I was like, "Oh, it looks kind of like XCOM," mm-hmm. but I'll, t- I'll take your opinion over my vague impressions. Watching it play out, it's very much like any kind of tactics game, um, because there's just a lot of tactics that go into it. And like in XCOM, you can you can aim in a certain direction and crouch up and down and uh, move around like that. But the difference is that Frozen Synapse is not on a grid, and it doesn't have, like, aiming mechanics. Okay. So, like, you can't aim at an enemy on your turn because you have no idea where the turn would be since it's simultaneously decided. Gotcha. So that's what makes it interesting is that um, your, your enemy is moving at the same time you're moving, and both orders get played out at the same time. So if you if your guy is like counting on your buddy to flank an enemy and kill it, and then your buddy dies, and he doesn't get flanked, he will come and kill you. And so you can lose in like the first turn because there's that rocket launcher guy, which does area of effect damage. So if somebody fires a rocket, and you are like taking cover from a sh- machine gunner in the same little bunker, you're you're just lost half your army. Because of that rock, it was well placed. Realism. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very it's a very unforgiving game if you miscalculate. Like if you are crouching and aiming, so you hit somebody and you're running away from where you know an explosion is going to be, and you just don't make it out in time, like you just die, <laughs> and your whole plan falls apart. So it's very unforgiving, uh, but it's it's cool, and I find it really fun. My friends find it really frustrating. So I can't get anyone to play with me on the PC. It does have multiplayer, and I think it's both co-op and competitive. So I think you can you can team up to do missions. It's a very time-consuming game to play, which um, is bad because it's a mobile game. But the way the turns play out is you can take as long as you want on any given turn. So you can sort of put it in your pocket and come back to it later. It's frustrating to play against people who do that because it just means you wait a few hours yeah. before their turn comes through. Well, the th- I think the thing would be to get a bunch of games going, like like you're playing Words with Friends or something. And Exactly. You have like ten games going at once. I really like it. I think it's really well designed, and it's um, it's very like deep, tactical, because there's no random numbers or anything. There's no chancing, chance of missing. You either shoot them before they shoot you, or you die. <laughs> And um, it's it's got a good, clean graphical representation. The story for the campaign isn't that great, but the missions themselves are interesting, and they're full of like interesting tasks. Like there's one memorable mission where you have to kill like everyone in a room within a certain amount of time, and so <laughs> you like look at these civilians, and you have to try to figure out how to you know navigate your people, so they'll just gun them all down. Then you, you plug in your orders, and then the civilians, like, run away. <laughs> and so you miss some of them, you, like, don't get all of them, and so you have to take another turn. And the more turns you take, it gives you a bad rating at the end. Mm. So I just, I've just come to expect copper ratings. It's just, like, bad. Is there an incentive to get better ratings? No, um, you get, like, it's more for your own satisfaction in, like, the campaign mode. But just being efficient with your units is how you win, you know, because if you lose half your army to a missile in the first turn and you still win, like, that feels great. Like, you really had to outsmart somebody in order to do that, you know, but it'll still give you a copper rating, so I just learned to ignore the rating system because it's just more fun to play than to try to try to game it. Right. Yeah, and so the campaign, I guess, is really just the way you learn what all the different units do. Uh, as far as downloadable content, I don't think there is any. There's an expansion pack, which I'm not sure has come to the mobile devices yet. It's available on the PC. The game itself is only like $4. I think it's a great value for $4 if you if you have any interest in tactics. Uh, and, and because it has so many different ways of playing, 
Uh, it has a lot of value. I don't know how strong the multiplayer is, the multiplayer community is. Uh, it would suck if they were just like five people, you know, standing around in a lobby. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty robust the last time I played it online. Overall, I give it ten bullet holes out of fifteen because ten out of ten was too many. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I didn't consider my rating too clearly, but it's a good game overall. I don't have any complaints about it. Man, it's it's a shame. Like you often give good reviews to your mobile games, and Kevin and I are just always tearing them apart. Well, I think I think the reason for that is that I don't play like the normal. Like I don't go. I don't know where you guys get the ideas for your games, but I try to pick ones that are, are off the beaten path. I just try to pick what's new, basically. Yeah. I don't how I don't know how new these games are. I do know that it's not on iOS. That's a shame. Yeah. I knew I was gonna like Frozen Synapse because I played it on the PC. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to sort of raise awareness of that game because I think it's a good game that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. And it's available on mobile, so that's a nice opportunity. I would like to raise awareness for the incredible restraint that I've had through both of these reviews because all this talk <laughs> about units and I didn't make one yeah. joke about it. <laughs> every time, every time I heard unit, I was just like biting my lip. Not this time. <laughs> I think that you might have to have to break your resolve when we get to our portable pass tonight, though. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. Well, before we get into that, I am going to re be reviewing Star Wars Tiny Death Star for iOS. Excellent. You can also get it on Android or your Windows devices. And it was made by Disney Mobile, of course, Nimblebit, and... Get ready for this. LucasArts. LucasArts. I, th I don't even know what's going on there. I think they just threw that name in there. As far as I knew, they were dissolved. But anyway, Tiny Death Star is basically, not even basically, it is the Star Wars equivalent of Tiny Tower. It's, if you haven't played Tiny Tower, it's a very popular iOS game. Um, it's like completely identical, and it's even developed by the same people who are Nimblebit. Um, so if you play that, you have a very clear idea of what's in store for you here. The gist of it is that it's, it's a very humorous game, and you are under orders from Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader to attract galactic citizens, or as they're called in this game, bitizens, because of the, I guess, 8-bit style graphics? I'm not sure. So you're getting them to come to the dark side and join the Empire, and you lure them to the Death Star by opening businesses and attractions and living quarters and keeping them all fully operational. <laughs> um, all the while, of course, as you're building up floors, you're building all these businesses and stuff, but as you're building down, you're building these, you have this very nefarious plan of building, like, interrogation rooms and, like, all this, like, dark <laughs> stuff. So as you attract more of these people, you get them to come to the Death Star, uh, you have to deliver them on an elevator to their desired floor. Sometimes you have to give them a place to live, and then all the while, you have to be making money to keep all your businesses open and well-stocked. Then you have to open more businesses. All the while, you're fighting off rebel spies and, and doing all this stuff. <laughs> and presumably, you then spend the rest of your life micromanaging a one-dimensional tiny Death Star in a game with no end. So is managing all of these businesses what the Empire was doing instead of particle shielding the, the thermal exhaust port? See, the, the thermal exhaust port couldn't be particle shielded because it needed to um, let the exhaust out. Well played, sir. <laughs> um, I had no answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, so let's talk about what I liked about Tiny Death Star. The presentation, first of all, it speaks volumes. The These bitisons are far too adorable for their own good. These... <laughs> <laughs> the pixel graphics exude so much character, and it's it's you unlock classes as you progress through the game, and you'll you'll be like, oh, there's little Ewoks walking around now, and it's <laughs> it's just to look to to visually, it's really just so much fun to watch. The music is really wonderful too. There are these remixed versions of the uh, you know classic Star Wars tunes done in sort of like this loungy, jazzy style. 
and it's really well done. And just oral and 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 visual aesthetics, it's it's a really good game. It also has a really good sense of humor. The writing is just so ridiculous, like you cannot help but chuckle. Um, and the character designs and animations are humorous as well. And then there's these occasional um, like unlockable cinemas, and they're actually like pretty funny. Um, and like one of the first ones you get, like Jar Jar walks into your cafe and he does that stupid thing he does in episode one where he like eats one of those frogs <laughs> off the rack or whatever. It gets gets stuck to his tongue or something. Right. Well, in this, he grabs the frog and he eats it. It pulls down the rack. All this stuff starts falling on him. Eventually, the ceiling falls in and falls on him. And on the the floor above him was Jabba the Hutt, and Jabba the Hutt squishes him. They never did show how Jar Jar died. Maybe that's maybe this is canon. <laughs> yeah, he was he was uh, murdered by by uh, Natalie Portman. <laughs> I don't know. I prefer the I prefer the ending where he dies and Jabba the Hutt's rectum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also this like sort of fake Twitter style feature called the Hollow Net. Where you, all your characters will post like status updates and stuff about the goings on of the Death Star, and they're really entertaining to read. Um, I also like there's just a ton of crap to unlock. There are thirty races in the game, um, more than eighty businesses that you can open, and they range from different things like the Mon Calamari Aquarium, or Max Rebo's Karaoke, or the Moss Espa Cafe. Um, there are also guest characters every once in a while, like Chewbacca or IG-88 or Wicket or somebody will show up, or even Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia. And and then like those those cinematics I was talking about, like the Jar Jar one, there are a bunch of those, like more than 25 of those to unlock as well. So there's tons of stuff to see, but I doubt anyone will see all of it. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. Something I'm sort of neutral about the game with is that it sort of it, it plays while you're not playing it. So um, your businesses will continue to make money and sell their products while your phone is off or whatever. On the downside of that is that when you're actually playing the game, you have to be keeping everything in stock. You have to keep your businesses well stocked and everything. So if you're if if you're just letting the game accumulate money in your pocket, when you go to play it again, all your businesses will be shuttered because they've run out of stock, and then you have to get new stock. And then of course there's a timer on that, and so you have to wait like two hours before you can get new stock and anyway yeah. it's it's sort of a double edged sword but unless you microtransaction unless you do microtransactions <laughs> oh i can call it um <laughs> i remember i i played this game briefly on my phone the original tiny tower okay it's exactly the same just a star wars coat of paint yeah that sounds awesome i mean i remember it was really addictive i played it for like 2 hours before i realized that i it's like, what the hell am I doing? Exactly. <laughs> that is the perfect segue into this. Um, this game was fun for about an hour for me. Um, after that, it's just tedium with an adorable cone of yeah. paint, of course. Um, the promise of unlocking more characters and scenes, it just wasn't enough to, to motivate me to keep going. So I inevitably just went back to playing Pokemon when I had a few minutes to play a portable game. <laughs> So it has since been deleted from my phone, and I will not be going back. And it makes me feel a little bit bad because that that darn wicket was just so adorable. But yeah, it sounds like it had really good production value. It did. It's just it's just such a tedious game. And you're right. What exactly what you said? You're you're doing nothing. You're like what? I'm just like <laughs> you're literally doing nothing. I can't even put it into words. It's like a series of demands that are placed on mm -hmm. you. Yeah. But what's interesting to me right now is like Kevin and I have spent quite a lot of time in Pokemon breeding. Yeah. And like I've been I've been trying to ma max out my Pokédex. And that's kind of a grind too. Yeah. But I think like just being self-directed about it is what makes it tolerable. You know, like I choose what Pokemon I want to I want to breed next. Uh -huh. And if it takes me 2 hours of doing nothing but like riding back and forth on my bicycle, that's still better than, than being told, oh, we need more chicken wings in the chicken wing emporium on floor 15 or whatever. I don't know. At least the rewards are better with Pokemon. You get this this character that you can actually use to do <laughs> stuff. 
That's true. With with Tiny Tower or Tiny Death Star, you get the promise of being able to build more floors where you get to just keep it just <laughs> it's just this cyclical thing where it's just like you get to do more of doing nothing if you do this and accomplish this and you get more frustrating crap to do. <laughs> I do recommend downloading it just to just to look at it. The music's awesome, the graphics are awesome, and it, the sense of humor, it's 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 really well done in that those regards, but I mean, after an hour or two, I can't imagine anyone being interested in playing this. I mean, who knows? You might be the one person, like, you, the listener, might be the one person out there for whom this is the ideal waste of time. Yeah. Just t- tapping on floors, because people love that game. Well, I mean, people love it. So many people download it and play Tiny it. Tiny Tower is huge. People spend money on it. It could be, like, there, there's a there's a person, a type of person out there who, who's a, a fan of that sort of thing. Yeah. And... For me, like if if it's a if it's a well designed game that appeals to a certain type of person, like I I think you know good for you guys. You you put a lot of thought and time into making it. You know if I'm not the right person for it, I still can't fault the the production quality. That for me that that goes a long way. Certainly, yes. In a, in a game, yes. any kind of game. I'll tell you what I'm a fan of. Old school Game Boy <laughs> games. <laughs> Oh yes. (laughs) Alright, well, I'm covering our portable past for this episode, and this time around we're going to talk about Super Mario Land. The very first one for the original Game Boy. It was released in 1989 with the Game Boy as a launch title. It's currently available for $3.99 on the Nintendo 3DS eShop. Uh, it's noteworthy for being the very first portable Mario game. It's also noteworthy for being Princess Daisy's first appearance, and she's since gone on to be in a lot of spin-off games as a playable character in Mario Kart and Mario Tennis and you know, Mario curling or whatever (laughs) they're doing now. One of the things that's interesting, I thought... Well, first of all, this doesn't take place in the Mushroom Kingdom, and this isn't the first Mario game to do that. I mean, Super Mario 2 did that immediately. But this time he's in a place called Sarasa Land, which is Princess Daisy's country. It's been taken over by the alien Tatanga. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. (laughs) Sarasa Land is kind of like Earth. Um, it has four different worlds of three levels each. Uh, there's a world that's very clearly Egypt, another that <laughs> is Easter Island, another that's China. Also, as an interesting progression for the series, apparently early on in Mario's uh, existence, he was not a big supporter of monogamy. Because <laughs> at the end of this game, Princess Daisy gives Mario a kiss, and it seems like they're in a relationship of some kind. So uh, you kind of have to wonder, you know, was Mario's trip to Sarasa Land similar to, like, a philandering <laughs> businessman leaving town on business and you're telling Peach, you're like, you know, I gotta go out of town business for a couple days, and, uh, you know, I'll call you when I get look, a chance. Look, look, or look. When I'm, Here's hmm? the thing. Peach isn't putting out. So... <laughs> So does that mean Mario's putting something in Daisy's flower? Oh, yeah. You know what that is? Whip dream. (laughs) Well, it's even weirder when you consider that in most of the modern, like, Mario Kart and Mario Tennis games, it's implied that Luigi and Daisy are now a common pairing. So is Luigi taking Mario's sloppy seconds? (laughs) Well, that's how it's always been with Luigi. Sloppy second player, I guess you'd call it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you know when you know when Peach gets home, she's smelling Mario's mustache. <laughs> oh. oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Anyway, so the oh. style of gameplay is pretty similar to um, the original Super Mario Brothers. It's very basic running and jumping. Uh, this is you know pre Raccoon Tail or you know things that gave you more variance in your power ups. There are only three power-ups in the game, a mushroom, a flower, and a starman. But the flower, it's important to note, is not the fire flower. It allow, It's a flower that allows you to throw super balls. Oh, shoot. Mark, oh. Allow, consider your resolve broken? <laughs> no, no, not yet. 
Not yet? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, despite its similarities to Super Mario Brothers, the enemies are almost completely entirely different, uh, with the exception of the Goombas. But even, like, the, tur- the turtles that you stomp on explode when they die, and, you know, they'll damage you if you don't run away from them. And there are tons of enemies that were unique to this game, like flying heads and robots and sphinxes and... I don't know, this game, this game was just really weird, and there hasn't ever been another Mario game really like it at all, in terms of, like, the setting and the enemies that appear. It's completely bizarre. It's, it's really out there. There's also a, a level where you drive a submarine, and you pilot an airplane, and those levels aren't even um, platform games as much as they're more like action shooters. It's an auto-scrolling game, you can move up and down and you shoot enemies that are flying at you and yeah like the the very last level of the game is a fight with Tatanga and Mario's flying his airplane against uh Tatanga's spaceship. Tatanga's he's the boss of Mario Land too is like, again isn't he? Or no he's, he is a boss he's a in it, boss. but he's not the main bad guy right. that's Wario. Right. Okay. Th- this game for me is like my wheelhouse as far as you know like sorts of the sorts of things that I love. Like this is this is what, you know, my friend and I did, like, every day after school for, like, a month, was we played Super Mario Land. Really? Yeah, oh my gosh, we loved this game. Like, to the extent where, if somebody had a Game Boy and didn't have Super Mario Land, I wondered why they even had the system to begin with. Like, I loved it that much. Dad, do you still feel that same way? Um, no. Now, I, I still, I still really like it. Hmm. But it's hard to say how much of that is nostalgia, yeah. and how much of it that is it being a really strong game. Because looking back on it, I mean, the graphics aren't very good. Mm-hmm. You know, the on-screen sprite size for everything is pretty tiny. Yeah, like you don't really get much detail out of anything. Um, the sound effects are largely unremarkable. Although the soundtrack's very catchy. Yeah, the game only has four worlds with three levels each, so it's incredibly short. Although, I mean, the the difficulty is higher than most modern Mario games. So, if if you don't have experience in this game already, you might have a bit of a tough time completing it. Although, with restore points, that's unlikely. Yeah. And I don't know, like, in 2013, Super Mario Land 2 is a much better game and the same price on the eShop. So, like, unless you have... Like, unless you're like me and you have nostalgia for the original, I would have to say I recommend Mario Land 2 over oh, Super Mario yeah. Land. It looks better, it plays better. The The physics in the first one are bizarre. Yeah, it it seems like every surface is coated in butter because you go sliding forever. Well, not that, but like it's like I don't remember it super <laughs> well, but it seems like when you're you're running and jumping, like you stop on a dime though, like in the air. I don't know. In the air, yeah. No, you, you you're right. Like the, I because I did have a couple problems with some of the jumps. Like you know, I would die once or twice on a couple of the levels because like if there were moving platforms, it was kind of hard to land on them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it has different physics than other Mario games, but I don't know. Like, that, I mean, that didn't really diminish my enjoyment. Like, I didn't become too frustrated. I, for my review for this episode, I actually, I played it through start to finish twice, and I, it was not a chore it's to do it. Like, I, I genuinely had a good time. I mean, uh, your average player probably finished it in half an hour. I mean, there are speedruns, I think, that go under <laughs> 10 minutes, maybe. It's a really short game. Like, if, if you're familiar enough with it to just hold the B button and run your way through the game, I can't imagine that taking anybody any amount of time to finish. Mm-hmm. It would take me at least two hours to finish it. Because <laughs> if you're bad at platform games? I'm the worst, especially with Mario. <laughs> Worse than Mega Man? Listen, I remember, you know in Mario 1, like the first Mario, when you get to the, the dungeon, like mm-hmm. in the second second level? I felt satisfaction every time I got to that dungeon. Oh my goodness. When I heard the dungeon music, I was like, yeah, I accomplished something in this playthrough. <laughs> That's how bad I am at Mario. Well, I, I might not recommend that you play Super Mario <laughs> Land. You probably have won't have no a good time with it. I interest in playing Super Mario Land. But I appreciate your review. <laughs> I, liked the, uh, I liked the joke about daisies and, and Mario. That, that, was, that was funny. I like how, now, there's a similar um, thing every time you think you rescue Daisy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it, it harkens back to the first Super Mario Brothers where, you know, you get to the end of every um, castle 
and you run into the next room, and there's a toad sitting there, and he's like, thank you, Mario, yeah. but our princess is in another castle. Well, I've you get through that. the bosses in this game, and then... Um, oh, Daisy. You see Daisy, and you're like, oh, Daisy! And you stand next to her, and then she turns into a horrible monster and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't until the end you go, oh, Daisy, Daisy! <laughs> he says it twice. <laughs> Yes. Uh, that second time tells the whole story. It does. It really does. That's evidence of why Mario should never talk in games. <laughs> that and his like horrible fake Italian accent. They just need to use clips from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show for Mario games. Get rid of <laughs> there you go. Get rid of the high high pitched Mario and get Captain Lou Albano back from the dead. I hear that, you know, necromancy is they're they're really making huge steps with that. Oh, leaps and bounds. Alright, well, that's that's that for Super Mario Land. That's pretty much it for the episode. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're doing a mid-December episode. We're not even going to pretend because we all want to hear Kevin talk about Zelda, I guess. I'm excited. This is this <laughs> is the direct sequel to my favorite video game of all time. In Japan, it's actually called A Link to the Past 2. Or, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Triforce of the Gods 2 or something like that. That's the Japanese the, name. Yeah, it was called Triforce of the Gods. The original game was in Japan. I'm really looking forward to this. This this and Super Mario 3D World for the Wii U are like the two best reviewed games by score anyway of like the entire holiday season. So I am really excited for wow. both games. Yeah, I I, I want to get Super Mario th- 3D World. That looks freaking awesome. It's a good time to be a Nintendo fan. It is. Um, Super Mario 3D World was the number one selling three uh, Wii U game on Amazon for like a minute, and then and then the Xbox launch started raping its butt. But I think Nintendo's going to fare very well this holiday season between Pokemon, a new Zelda, a new Mario, and well, yeah. So next episode we're going to be talking about Zelda, and we're also going to do kind of a year in review for that episode as mm-hmm. well. So we'll have a couple thing, a couple special things planned for that. Mm-hmm. Things out of the ordinary. Look forward to that. I'm going to be moving back to Pennsylvania this Saturday, actually. That's a pretty big deal. Chicago <laughs> yeah. to Pennsylvania. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be quite the adjustment. And it's happening really fast. I, as far as I understand it, it's actually much easier to obtain heroin in Milton than it is in Chicago. So you should be all right. Yeah. Well... I don't really do heroin, but I suppose I could always start, because I'm not going to have a lot else on my plate yeah. for a while. <laughs> I'm sure my, that would go over really well with my parents. <laughs> oh, man. So, in case it wasn't obvious, I'm a man-child. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing no, wrong with that. No. I have a podcast, so I'm famous on the internet. A right? podcast listened to by dozens. <laughs> there are dozens of us. Literally, Literally dozens. <laughs> Dozens of people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Ah, wine. Wine is helping me out tremendously. Yeah, I polished off this 550-milliliter bottle. Well, we have the popular outcasts to thank for the dozens of fans, because they're the ones that host our podcast. You can find them at popularoutcast.com and us at portablepower.popularoutcast.com, within which there is a purple Amazon banner it is very distinct, and when you click on that, it takes you to Amazon.com, where you will clear your cookies, and then you will do your holiday shopping, <laughs> so that we get a cut of that that money. They they actually get the cut. We get the... to stay on the network because they have the money to yeah. cover the hosting costs. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's our cut. Is just our continued support by those wonderful fellows yeah. and ladies. I think there's a lady involved. There's at least one yeah. somewhere. We're also on Twitter. At Portable Power FM. We're also on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Portable Power Podcast. And we have a Gmail email. Portable Power Podcast at gmail.com. Send us requests and, uh, or just, you know, chat us up. Commands. Yeah, commands. <laughs> um, <laughs> while you're at it, hit us up on iTunes. We only have seven reviews. Granted, our average review is five stars. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know how that happened, but um, there's only three of us, so we're not responsible. But yeah, <laughs> reviews would be nice; it gets us noticed. I I've tried to search for our podcast, and I literally can't find it unless I search exactly "Portable Power Podcast" on iTunes. So, well, that is our name. But we want to be known for more than just our name. Yeah, 
we want to be prolific visionaries in the video game community. <laughs> I don't even know if that sentence made sense, but there it is. <laughs> it did. It was pure English. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, until <laughs> December 15th. Ish. Ish. Around that time. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>